Folk Squad Goals is proud to partner with Monthly Mane. If you have long hair, then you know the feeling of constantly being on the hunt for hair ties and bobby pins. Plus, it's hard to read books when your hair is in your face. Enter Monthly Mane. Monthly Mane is an affordable hair tie subscription box that delivers you a monthly supply of all your hair accessory needs, no matter your lifestyle. Plus, each box has a motivational, encouraging theme to help you stay in the right mindset to reach your 2020 goals. With all the hustle you've got planned this year, let Monthly Mane help you achieve more and worry less. Visit monthlymane.com. That's monthly, M-A-N-E.com to start your subscription today. doing you know hanging in yeah just just normal everything's fine and good and it's totally chill everything's fine you know it's really crazy because we're recording this and by the time we publish it um things could be much worse than they are now catastrophic so let's be thankful for this moment and where we are now and the things that um, we still have. Yes. Let's take a moment. Yes. Also, public service announcement. Please, if you can, stay home. Mm-hmm. Yes. I just want to – I want everybody to know that we, every single week – or not every single week. Every single time we record this podcast, which is biweekly, um, we are um, getting together in the safety of our homes. Virtually. Virtually. Using – Google Hangouts. Shout out to Google Hangouts. What, you can what? hang out with your friends on Google Hangouts, this too. This whole podcast is an exercise in social distancing. It's yeah. <laughs> All we do is read alone and then Google Hangout alone. Yeah. 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 We've been using um, Google Hangouts for work this week since they're working from home, and a lot of people have been like, oh, I've never used this before. <laughs> I'm an and expert. Like, Noobs. <laughs> Let me tell you. We've been using Zoom at my job, which, for the record, is trash, and I hate it. So, in other words, we've been social distancing since before it was cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) That sounds like we don't have friends. We We do. do. We just uh, talk to them about Google Hangouts. Um, (laughs) But all of this is to say, by the way, this is Book Squad Goals. Welcome. Um, Everything's fine. (laughs) I just want to tell you a little bit about this episode you're about to listen to. We are going to be talking about Gods of Jade and Shadow by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, and we also have an interview with Josie Silver, author of The Two Lives of Lydia Bird and One Day in December. Yes. So um, I have read both those books. I'll talk to you more about that later before we get into the interview. Um, but yeah. Um, before we get into the book, one more PSA. Um, as you know, a lot of businesses are shutting down right now. And this is going to be especially hurtful for small businesses. And um, we just want to use this time to remind you that you can still get books from your local bookstores. Um, Lots of local bookstores are offering different ways that you can get books delivered to you remotely. I know for our Atlanta listeners that Little Shop of Stories is doing a book delivery system. 
Um, so you can check that out. We'll link to that. If um, you have a favorite local bookstore, look at their Instagram or whatever their social media is and check and see what they're doing. Um, you know, this is a really tough time for local businesses and there's nothing that brings me more joy than going into an independent bookstore. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to make sure that when we get to the other side of this, that we still have independent bookstores to go to. So, um, we all got to do our part in, you know, support local business. So, yeah. And if you want some recommendations for bookstores that you could order from online, you can check out our blog. And if you search just bookstores under that tag, we have quite a few posts of different um, indie bookstores, many of which do have websites that ship um, like nationwide. Yes. So yeah. definitely check those out. Hooray. Uh, Libro FM is an online audiobook service that also um, donates money back to local bookstores. And so right now they're doing a deal where you can get two audiobooks for $15, I want to say. And 100% of the proceeds from that are going to be donated back to local bookstores. So if you want to check out an audiobook, that is also a good option to help get some money back into local bookstores. It's not as good as ordering directly from your local bookstore. But, but it is better than using Audible. Yes. It's better than Audible. It's better than Amazon. And they are robbing you every time. Robbing you and me blind. Yeah. That's what's happening with Audible. That's true. Oh, man. I'm in an abusive relationship. about Audible, Audible. I'm just going to shade them right now, and now they're never going to sponsor us, and that's fine. Um, I don't care. Well, (laughs) fuck you, Audible. (laughs) The thing about Audible is that uh, once you unsubscribe, you lose access to the books that you fucking paid for. Uh, What the hell? So that's why, like, I'm now... It didn't used to be like that. Yeah, but now I'm like, I guess I got to keep paying, because there are all these books I haven't listened to yet. (laughs) Yeah, so. so it's like a a book subscription service, but it's like but you only get one book. I pick yeah, yeah, you only get one book per month. I pay for two. So, well, okay, but still, you can pay for more. But it's like if I have Netflix, like I'm I can watch as many movies all, in a month as I movies. want. I don't keep the movies, but I have access to all of them. Right. Audible is acting like you have a credit to purchase something, and then yeah. they take it away from you. Yeah. Once you unsubscribe. That should be illegal. So if you don't care about local bookstores, <laughs> care about yourself. I feel attacked. Yeah. And just don't buy from Audible. I mean, I have Audible subscription no, too. No, I have time. Audible. Like, <laughs> I just hate. I It makes me yeah, really angry. It and I, Especially because it is an Amazon company, which yeah. is just like, Amazon is, and I have Amazon Prime, so like, don't get me wrong. But, like, I'm a human person and I have to live. But I mean, Amazon they have great is... streaming content, so what are you going to do, you know? Yeah, and also, like, I need to have cat litter delivered to me so that I don't have to, like, lug it down the block in New York. But, uh, you know, a- Amazon is terrible. Any way that you can avoid giving them money, I would recommend. <laughs> I say as I uh, yeah. update my Amazon shopping cart. <laughs> Yeah, we're hypocrites. Well, this has been Amazon shaming Um, corner. I'm just saying. Also, also, Amazon and Audible (laughs) have sponsored a lot of the articles that I've written. Um, Hey, guys, what's up? (laughs) Also, Amazon doesn't pay taxes. What's up? What's up with that? Huh?
Okay. Oh, man. Moving on. That's some BS. <laughs> I'm mad about the world right now, if you can't tell. Yeah, we're all mad. It sucks. I mean, Kelly's in New York City, so that is even... It's real... Uh, it's hard out here. It's real evident yeah. here right now. Um, okay. So, anyway. <laughs> if you're still with us... <laughs> what did I just... Oh. Let's go back to a time in... Before Amazon. 1920s Okay, Mexico. so I have... <laughs> I have a question, an intro question. I know we've been talking for a while, but we haven't really, like, said who we are. And so, you know, like, let's uh, talk about it. Um, uh, so my intro, let's talk about my it. intro question, because I'm, I'm throwing some shade on the name of this book. I'm holding it up like everybody can see. Um, the name of this book is Gods of Jade and Shadow. And I've just noticed that there are a lot of books out there that are blank of blank and blank. And it's... Children of Blood and Bone. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I can't think of any. I'm sure. Song of Ice and yeah, Fire. There are a lot of them. Um, and they're usually, as far as I know, they're usually fantasy novels. Um, I worked on one at Macmillan. I'm trying to remember the name of. Uh, Song of. Anyway, point being, there are a lot of them. Trust me. Um, and sometimes I get them all confused. Um, all of this is to say all of us have an alternate life where our life is a fantasy novel named something of something and something. Um, so if your life was a fantasy novel titled blank of blank and blank, what would the title be and why? I figured out the one I was thinking of. It's Song of Blood and Stone. Oh. There are often elements and things like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say mine. This is Mary. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say mine would be bodies of snakes and blood. Is it because you're a Slytherin? No. Okay. I just, snakes are real hot right now. That would help me sell it. <laughs> and blood is always hot. So. <laughs> Blood's always hot. Yeah. I have blood in mine, too. This is Kelly. Okay. Um, Mine's going to be fruit of... Blood and glitter. Mm. Why is that? Uh, because like I'm like super dark and I like death and stuff. So like that's the blood part. But I also am like kind of like sweet. So that's the fruit part. And also <laughs> I really like glitter. Cool. <laughs> Susan, what you got? I went a little more literal with mine yeah um i guess this <laughs> i is, did too it's fine it's not so fantasy i guess we would maybe it's magical realism um but i was just basing <laughs> this is like the quarantine version of my life um it's just cups of wine and coffee yeah <laughs> i i have coffee That's in a mine good one. also um so mine is well i was gonna say a lot of I feel like a lot of these books have stars in the title somewhere, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I'm not really like a nighttime person. I just can't stay up. I get I get real sleepy. Same, um, yeah. and I tend to wake up pretty early. So I'm gonna say sun instead of stars because the sun is also a star. I was about to say that. <laughs> True. I, I love that book. Anyway, um, <coughs> Nicola, you. But also a real dumb title. Gotta say. Um, gotta put that out there. But uh, you know what? Titles are hard. Mm-hmm. 
That's so. I'm really judgmental about them too. The um the title of my fantasy novel is going to be Son of Cats and Coffee. Mm. Um, because I am usually up when the sun is out, and I have cats and coffee. There are cats present at all times. (laughs) Cats of sun and coffee. Cats of sun and coffee. You can just mix it around. Coffee of cats and sun. It's a choose your own adventure book. You can really just put a bunch of nouns (laughs) into a hat and pull them. But yeah, so that's, those are our fantasy novels. They will be out, um, soon. You know, we're waiting on that Mine will be out first because snakes. Mine will be out ASAP because it has to happen during quarantine. Yeah. Very timely. This is that was the story of my life for the past three days. Okay, got to get this out before quarantine ends. <laughs> so it's timely. We're gonna get into talking about the book now. Um, so just spoilers. so you know, spoilers to come. We've all read the book till the very last page, so we're gonna talk about the book till the very last page. Um, now's mm-hmm. your chance to skip on ahead to that Josie Silver interview if you don't want to hear spoilers. We'll wait. All right, now that those losers are gone, let's. Finish this. <laughs> All right. So here is what the book is. This is what is said on Goodreads as is tradition. The Mayan god of death sends a young woman on a harrowing, life-changing journey in this one-of-a-kind fairy tale inspired by Mexican folklore. The Jazz Age is in full swing, but Cassiopeia Tan is too busy cleaning the floors of her wealthy grandfather's house to listen to any fast tunes. Nevertheless, she dreams of a life far from her dusty small town in southern Mexico, a life she can call her own. Yet, this new life seems as distant as the stars. There are them stars, y'all. Until the day she finds a curious wooden box in her grandfather's room, she opens it and accidentally frees the spirit of the Mayan god of death, who requests her help in recovering his throne from his treacherous brother, Failure will mean Cassiopeia's demise, but success could make her dreams come true. In the company of this strangely alluring god, and armed with her wits, Cassiopeia begins an adventure that will take her on a cross-country odyssey, from the jungles of the Yucatan to the bright lights of Mexico City and deep into the darkness of the Mayan underworld. That's it. That is that is what happens in the book. That's true. Fast true. tunes. Ooh, them fast tunes. <laughs> god of death. Ain't, ain't got Can't no be time to do no Charleston tunes. today. Mm-mm. I don't know. Is that from the Jazz Age? Sure. Okay. I really don't know. I don't know. We did not do our research. There's another disclaimer. Well, you know, it doesn't come up. The fast tunes yes. truly okay. a small part of this so book. That, we never pretended to be historians. That was going to actually be my first question. So, this book is set in Mexico in 1927. Um, the, the reason for it being set in Mexico seems pretty obvious, but why this time period? And what did the Jazz Age time period add to the story? Mm. I mean, my first gut instinct is that this is a time when women were beginning to become a bit more independent Mm -hmm. right so like we've got women cutting their hair short and wearing these outlandish flapper dresses (laughs) Mm -hmm. but also women cannot be completely independent like it seems impossible for cassiopeia to like leave her grandfather's care 
yeah to leave his home well also that it seems, seems like a stretch it seems like right now in this time in this place maybe in the cities people are more progressive but she's living in a small town and yeah we all know how small towns are they take yeah. a little while to catch up that's true so there is a little bit of that happening also that's my gut reaction, though, is because of, like, women's status. I mean, it seems like Cassiopeia's mother, too, had no option yeah. when her father died but to just go home. But yeah. I don't know that I really got a lot of jazz influence, <laughs> yeah. like, jazz age influence. There's, like, one There's, like, one party. Scene. There's, like, one party, one time when Cassiopeia, like, has to cut her hair off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that made her it. beautiful, her one beauty, <laughs> her one beauty <laughs> that reminded me of, oh, of that, of little women, but also, uh, there's a, there's a America's next top model makeover where a girl with very long yes. hair gets it all cut off and she loses her it. shit. <laughs> oh, I remember that. And I feel Plus. like or her name it, was Cassie, but maybe it wasn't, maybe I've made that up. I don't remember. I remember. I remember the girl getting her hair buzzed off on America's Next Top Model and being so upset. But I also remember there was, and this might have been the same person. There was one girl who they told to cut off her hair, and she was like, "No, I don't want to do it." And Tyra came in and was like, "You have to do this if you want to be a model. Your people are going to change you all the time." Yeah, like yelled. That's at what her. happened to Cassiopeia oh too? Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Her her Tyra She's Banks trying to get on to A and T M, you know. Fun fact, the first season of ANTM came out in 1927. <laughs> Still with Tyra Banks yeah. as the host, so it's weird. It's crazy. She is the Mayan god of death, you didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Very I believe boring. it. I mean, I could see it. I could see it. I'd live in that <laughs> anyway, reality. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on that? Because, like, I'm really asking because there were several points in the novel where I was just thinking, uh... What's the point of having it in this specific time period? I think also, and this is just like a logistical thing, that I think with fairy tales, it becomes a problem to set them in the present because you have to deal with technology. Mm -hmm. So I think that like a, a part of setting it in the past at some point is to kind of be in like have like a certain amount of remove from like our present day so that the fairy tale aspect becomes more like believable i guess yeah um i don't know that like why the 20s specifically um i do think that mary has a point uh as far as the the feminism issues go and i think also um it being a time when and i don't know a ton about uh, Mexican history, but I did find it interesting that this book, um, every time they went to a new city, yeah. uh, the chapter would sort of open with a little bit of just, like, information about what mm-hmm. was going on at that time in that city or, like, in Mexico in general. Yeah. Um, and I found that interesting, and I think that, like, this was, like, an opportunity, like, in in mixing in, like, Mayan folklore also mixing in like actual history um so like i can see why like and that was also a time when when mexico was starting to like adopt a lot of the culture of like the america like or you know the united states rather the americas (laughs) mexico is the americas (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> they picked it up real fast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but, like, she talks about how um, throughout the book, like, like, oh, well, this part of the city is, like, very influenced by, you know, what's going on in California and, like, people are, are wearing flapper clothes because that's what's going on and you know, in the United States. And um, so it's, like, a time of, of great change for Mexico also. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm sure there are plenty of time periods throughout history where that were times of great change for Mexico. Yeah. So. Um, true. true. Okay. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I, w- I agree. Like, I did really like um, that history, especially, like, I don't really know a lot about Mexican history. It's just not – and it's just not something that we're taught very much about in school. Mm-hmm. We literally don't learn about any history other than, like, us European and, like, history. a little bit of yeah. Europe. And also, yeah. real talk, I barely learned American history. Well, and also, real talk, we're only learning a certain version of American history. Yeah. Depending, yeah. like, what state you went to school in, what type of school you went to, who your history teacher was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, <laughs> don't feel like we learned a lot about Mayan mythology. Um, no, that know. was all so, brand making new to me. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, did anybody know anything about Mayan mythology going into this? And how much did we need to know to enjoy the story? Kind of cribbing this question from when we read Circe, um, which was a, you know, story that we were generally more familiar with than this. Yeah, by comparison, I knew I a knew, lot like, more. I knew like a small... Oh, Oh, I was just going to say, I knew a little bit of Mayan mythology only because of um, art history, because I minored in art history, and especially when you're learning about ancient art, um, like, Mayan, Aztec, Inca culture is, like, a huge, huge part of that curriculum. Um, But, like, I learned all of that stuff so long ago that, you know, I didn't recognize much when I was reading this. But no, I don't think you have to be familiar with it, is my answer. Yeah, and there's a little glossary in the back. I don't know. Did you guys look at that at all? I didn't realize that was there until (laughs) I flipped to the last page and thought it was a new chapter, and it was, like, glossary. And I was like, cool. I didn't know. I wish I would have known, because there were plenty of times reading when I was like, oh, that's a word I don't know, keeps reading, (laughs) instead of, like, looking it up. I love a glossary. I love glossaries so much. Uh... Um, I am currently in the middle of the Wheel of Time, the fantasy series, and there's always a glossary, and I am forever, like, looking up how stuff is pronounced or what it is and kind of refreshing myself. Would have loved to know there was a glossary. I know, like, I wish it had said at the beginning, just FYI. There's a glossary. I was so angry. Flip to the back. When I got to the end and was like, oh. Yeah. It would have been so, so cool to, like, a glossary. have... Yeah, more understood. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you haven't read the book for some reason, um, there is a check glossary. out that glossary. Um, but there's not in the I mean, paperback. Yeah, <gasps> really, there is. I have I'm the paperback at it right now. There's no glossary in here. Are you sure? I promise. Oh no! I promise. Oh no, Susan got. I mean, a bootleg version of the book. <laughs> they might. That might be like a misprint. <laughs> I got the one without the glossary. That. No, like they probably printed out like a whole bunch of them and forgot to put the glossary in and then they were probably like oh fuck and then they had to do a reprint yeah there which is, is no it's a very first of all glossary. i listened to this book 
So I didn't even, I have it here because I'm spent sending this to the winner of our giveaway when I'm out of quarantine. So this is actually hers. Sorry to the winner that there, that you don't get a glossary. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lindsay, man. if That's you're rough. listening. <laughs> um, I think you should copy it down by hand. Because when you said that, I went and looked because I was like, oh, I kind of want to know how some of this stuff was at least like spelled because I've only been hearing yeah. it. And... I didn't read any reviews or anything, so I haven't seen, like, I hadn't seen the names of the gods. I later went and looked it up. Yeah. Um, but, like, it's then I looked in the front, and I was like, maybe it's in the front in the paperback. Because maybe they learned, oh, just put it up front. No, it's not there either. <laughs> That's what they should have done, is put it in the front. Just put it in I the mean, front. Yeah. I guess it would have. I will say. Like a family tree. Yeah. Like, having read the book as if there were no glossary. Yeah. <laughs> it was Having fine. blindly listened, I, think that this- I was okay. <laughs> yeah, like I think this book does a good job of like explaining stuff that's going to be really foreign mm-hmm. or giving enough context clues to understand something. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have really any background in Mayan folklore or mythology. Um, I really am trying to pressure my roommate Jenny to read this book because she does know a lot about Mayan mythology and is really interested in it. I'd be curious to see what she thinks about this. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to her after tonight and see if she'll read it. But what else are we doing? You know, she's got time. Look, <laughs> but here's the thing, and I'm just gonna come out and admit this. I thought that because I would be sitting at home, that I would have lots of time to read. Turns out, too anxious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's that. We were just I, saying that on Monday, we re- we rescheduled our recording, and we were all reading on Monday before we were supposed to record, and then Susan <laughs> texted and was like, can we reschedule? And, and Emily and I both were like, puts the yep, book down. Yeah, I didn't, <laughs> all like, of us I were didn't like, finish it that day either. Yeah. <laughs> I did the same thing I always do and yeah, finished it, it was, right before we started. It's really hard to focus. It's just, it's I mean, I was right on now. schedule to finish, but I was really thankful yeah. for those couple of extra days because I got yeah. to actually enjoy it. I have it. magically had yeah. less time I had like 20 working from left. home because everything has been an emergency. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yep. Right. And then they know that you have all your stuff and that like. Uh, yeah, I've actually worked more I've hours anyway, every day than I have school. at the office. <laughs> so. But this upcoming weekend. Or this past weekend, if you're listening, <laughs> Emily and I are going to do a readathon. We are. So I'm going to oh, get back on track. Six feet apart. If That's you're together. Um, yeah, separate apartments. I Separate apartments. <laughs> I'm going to start mine on Friday, because I'm a cheater. It's fine. Yeah, I think it would be nice to have a list. But you're supposed to read 24 hours out of 48 it's hours. too much. I need a nap. Yeah, I need to sleep 24 out of 48. <laughs> What about eating? <laughs> you can eat and read. It's fine. Yeah. I guess that's true. At first, I thought it was 24 books in 48 hours. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> could do that. <laughs> Ain't nobody. I was like, I got to read several poetry books. I've got to read graphic novels. I've got to read children's picture books. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'll give I you my poetry chat book. book. That'll go fast. Shit's tiny. I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna do our best. I mean, it's a lofty goal, and I'm not gonna be like upset with myself no. if I don't do it. But I'm just gonna. It's just nice to set a challenge yes. to read more. Yes, and I'm hoping maybe that'll uh, help me get back into the reading group because this week it's been, it's been really hard. I'm sorry for this um, 
downer episode. Yeah, you know, it just feels like something we should time. talk about, unfortunately. It's just a weird time. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it would be stupid for us to pretend that it's not happening, because, like, we're pretty, like, open about everything on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, true. Um, but let's... <laughs> Perhaps too let's much. Let's talk <laughs> about the book. Mary, I feel like this is a good question for you. Can I ask one question before yeah. a, a glossary question? Yeah. <laughs> so, Cam Camazot's <clears throat> the death bat mm-hmm. in the book isn't Camazot's the name of the place they go to in A Wrinkle in Time. It's something similar to that, but it's I don't think that's it. It's something similar. That's that's I all know. I wondered. I look. Could I have Googled that and answered the question myself? Sure. Write in and let us know what you found. <laughs> out. I'd rather ask the group. I'm yeah. looking it up. I have now. no idea, and I just read that like yeah, last year for the first time, so can't Same. remember. I read it really fast in a day, so I've read it multiple times throughout my life, and I don't remember what the place is called. Mm, that was my so. readathon, it's, and I forgot it all. Hmm. That's the problem with reading. It's Canazots. Oh, it is? It's Canazots. Yeah, it's spelled with a C instead of a K, Uh but it's also spelled with a C sometimes in Mayan mythology, it looks like. Well, Madeline L'Engle did some stealing. I just, I mean, I think it's interesting. Like, I wonder if she had familiar, I mean, she had to have had familiarity with this figure in Mayan mythology, so I just wonder, like, I would be curious to reread The Wrinkle in Time and... See, look for other Mayan mythology. You got twenty four yeah. hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> Get on it. Um, okay, so moving on. This is the question, Mary, that I think yes, yes, will be yes. a good one for you. Um, so, I was as I do after I finish a book. I always like to go on Goodreads after I finish the book to see what other people are saying. Um, and there seems to be a lot of discussion on Goodreads about whether or not this book should be considered YA or adult. Um, and this is what the author has said about it. Does someone else want to read this? Because I feel like I've been talking a lot. Oh, yeah. No, you do it. I can. Or, you no, Susan, you can. I'll read it. <laughs> no, no one asked you. <laughs> Kelly, you weren't even in the running. <laughs> like, what? The- you were the third choice in my head. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm I'm Bloomberg coming. In here. How about me? <laughs> Kelly actually paid me fifty dollars so that she could read this. Okay, so fine. <laughs> well, I don't want you to waste your money. Go ahead, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> no. Go ahead, Bloomberg. Do it. Kelly's just Wait, like, I'm- I don't want to be Mike Bloomberg. Well, it's too late. Right, who's actually reading it? I'll just read it. Kelly, go. Too. Oh, okay. Wow, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how Mike Bloomberg won the presidency. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. He's done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yes, this is an adult novel as are all my other novels and novellas, SFF by women, is that science fiction fantasy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. By women seems to be automatically classified as YA, which is where the error comes from. P.S. The reasons for having this out as an adult book have to do with the choices of my publisher, but also my own feeling that the omniscient tell-don't-show bits of the novel 
would make it distancing and unappealing for teenagers, plus some other stuff, which I won't go into right now. And sure, there's adults who also hate omniscient POVs, but teens seem to hate them more, at least judging by the ones I know. If new adult had taken off as a category, maybe that might have worked as a shelf, but it doesn't seem to have done very well. Ultimately, I think it's a fantasy. Bill Bidung's Roman? What is that? Yeah, Bill Dung's Roman. Bill Dung's Roman. Which may be very appealing to adults who like a fairy tale feel, but also crossover well to well to <laughs> oh my god. Who like a fairy tale feel, but also cross over well to older teenagers. <laughs> Kelly's regretting everything right now. I just love the tone with which you said. I was just making a joke at this one. <laughs> you were like so mad. Because that is a dumb word. Well, it's not. So it doesn't come from German, English. Yeah. It's a German word, obviously. <laughs> that um, in literary theory, it's, it is used to describe a type of coming of age story it literally just means coming of age yeah. story okay but li- um, sometimes literary time, people love to say it in boys. a german accent and it's really fucking annoying literary can you say it in the german accent me do you think i couldn't do that do it. any of <laughs> not american i, I want to hear it i officially don't do accents mary i have just always heard it said bildungsroman mm. i don't know if that's true i have been to all of my higher education facilities in the south (laughs) i feel like i've heard people at southern miss like really lean into it but that's you know i'm sure (laughs) i wish you would do a demonstration but uh, if anyone wants to record an audio clip of themselves saying it and send it in we will play it on the next episode and then we'll tack on Um, kelly saying what is that (laughs) right after it (laughs) <laughs> I love how combative it is. <laughs> like I'm just not on this board. Is... Okay, Mary, what are your thoughts on this? I'm asking Mary for those of you who are new here because Mary is our YA children's lit person. Yes. So, so um, talk about that a little bit. I have a lot of thoughts about this. First of all, I think it's interesting that uh, I'm like trying to look at her name. I think it's interesting that Moreno Garcia mm-hmm. talks about this at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's, I think it is a fascinating question that has been posed to her because I feel like we don't often talk about the practical decisions publishers have to make. Um, and so often young adult lit is a publishing decision. Like it could be for adults. It could be for kids. Yeah. It could be, like, it could be written for teenagers, but oftentimes young adult books are just books that were written for adults that are marketed better for teenagers. So, like, it's interesting to hear her just sort of, like, address these practical considerations and say, like, actually, my publisher made this choice. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I think it's a very astute comment she made about new adult literature and how it kind of has just quietly disappeared. (laughs) Uh, Emily, maybe you have more insight into this as someone who is getting sent, like, marketing materials for for stuff, but, like, I haven't heard a whole lot of conversation about new adult literature in a while. Yeah, the last time we talked about it was for uh, 
extraordinary absolutely remarkable thing thing that happened absolutely <laughs> remarkable thing the extraordinary thing that happened <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's dying because nobody can remember the title of that book because um, all book titles my brain sound is functioning at full same. capacity today <laughs> titles are hard titles are hard guys okay um it's true yeah i think that from a marketing standpoint it's just really hard to um sell your book as new adult and like because it's like uncharted territory and i think most readers you know if you're a young adult fan you're a young adult fan and you want to read ya Mm -hmm. if you if you Mm -hmm. don't like ya then you want something that's adult and so like you kind of are alienating both audiences in a way um so i think that kind of makes it hard from a marketing standpoint but yeah i don't know i i I do kind of think that and we're gonna talk about this book later because i'm gonna be interviewing her but i do feel like um maybe veronica roth's new book might be considered new adult um but i haven't read it yet i'm getting to it maybe i'll start it this weekend but i can let you know after i read it if i think it's new adult or not I mean, I wonder if this is something like in 20 years, scholars will look back and say, new adult was a thing. Yeah, I don't know. Right. I don't know either. But I I get what she's saying about the point of view. Like a lot of young adult books right now specifically have a first yeah. person point of view. Yes. That's, that's hot right now. But also I would argue that sort of historically – Tons of books written for young readers, and even some of the earliest young adult books, do not have a first-person point of view. So that's not, like, a necessary... I don't know. I just... I've always kind of heard heard tell that um, the omniscient voice was actually more common in, like, children's and middle grade literature than in young adult or adult. So it's interesting that she's saying omniscient... um, isn't appealing to young readers because it seems to me like, I think I read somewhere. I wish that I could tell you where I learned this. I probably read about it in a children's like class I took, but um, I've taken a couple of those. So I can't even tell you which one. Um, But like, there's something about the omniscient narrator that appeals to children because they can kind of like learn a little bit about everything. Um, Yeah. And as you get older, you kind of realize that an omniscient narrator isn't really practical. Like, I know a lot of times when I'm reading and, and there's an omniscient voice, I think, like, how does this person know all this stuff? Um, yeah. So I don't know. Like, I don't know if I agree with her about the omniscient narrator thing, but I do agree that the narration does not feel YA to me. Because when I think of YA, yeah. I think of first person like almost every YA book I can think of is first person if not first person it's gonna be close third I mean this is kind of like not necessarily a strict third person omniscient like it's kind of like Jane Austen limited uh what is it called we need Alexandra up in here it's like limited omniscient or something I have a PhD (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's, it's like limited. Like we get the perspective of different characters, 
You know, like, we get Cassiopeia's perspective in the chapters that focus on her. We get Martine's perspective in the chapters that focus on him. It's still third person. Yeah. But we, it is flavored <laughs> for the different characters in the chapters focusing on I think on it's them. called third person Never flavored. <laughs> We never got a, a God of Death chapter, though, which I really... Yeah, what was he thinking about? Well, mm. we, we could see what he was thinking occasionally in Cassiopeia's yeah. chapters. Mm. It'd be like, by the way, he wants to fuck her. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, halfway through this book, um, Jen, friend of, friend of the pod and former guest Jen, has also read this book and was so excited we were reading Aww. it. And I told her, like, as I was reading, I was like, I'm halfway through or I'm two thirds through. And at one point I said, Jen, am I shipping the god of death in this team? (laughs) Yeah. Do I want this to happen? And she was like, I think you're supposed to. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, we were both just like, (laughs) romance we can all root for. Yes. I can root for this god of death, Romeo. Well, uh, it's fine because he's also a teenager, kind of. This is basically <laughs> Edward and Bella all over again. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. She was like, how Speaking long have you been 17? Anyway, sorry. Also, I understand the claim that all science fiction, or most science fiction and fantasy by women gets classified as young adult. And I think it's for the usual sexist reasons. Yes. Like, I think a lot of uh, novels by women often feature a romantic plot line. Yeah. Might not even be a main feature of the book. Might be just, like, a little side plot going on. I do. But yeah. if it's there and it's written by a woman, people are like, mm, this is young I adult. do think the romance might make people think this is YA because YA novels in general tend to include... Um, a romantic plot line. Yeah. Almost or I think that the, I mean, the kind of like fairy tale structure of it too, probably is yes. working to do that. Um, yeah. But and I think and, that's my next question too, if we want to kind of like go into that. Well, but, wait, but, I haven't said anything I just wonder. Let's do I was, I was just saying like, and I want to talk about that more is all I was saying. Yes. Let's. Yeah. In one moment. <laughs> After this brilliant brilliant shit I'm about to say. No, um, (laughs) I was thinking, just like, I mean, novels with a female teenage protagonist are also often characterized that way, especially if a woman wrote it. So, like, it's interesting to think about, like, like an absolutely remarkable thing. Like, she wasn't a teenager, but she was a young woman. And I feel like the voice of that almost Mm -hmm. is more YA than... The voice of this. Big time. That was written by a man, and it was mostly, like, new adult categorized. And then, like... Nobody questioned what yeah. it was. And then, like, also, since we brought up Cersei, that's, like, very clearly adult, even though it is, like, it is mythology, and, like, it has some of the, those, like, fairy tale elements to it because of the types of stories it's telling. That's very different than this, also. Like, that's... Mm-hmm. That's adult, adult. Um, yeah, capital. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't read any of that stuff about it before I read the book, and I, I was thinking of it as adult, but it is interesting looking at it 
through that perspective where like science fiction written by women is often put in that category for like for the sexist reasons like mary said and just teenagers or younger people written by women also get stuck in that category too yep yeah Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to think about, like, how many women science fiction writers do I know? And I'm like, mm, Octavia Butler? Just remember when you were going to do that um, one novel by uh, Nettie Okorafor, wasn't mm-hmm. that your, oh, yeah. your I was, supervisor I was, teach... was like, isn't this a YA book? Yeah, I was going to teach Binti by Nettie Okorafor. And I did teach it and sort of made an argument for it. But my supervisor was like, isn't this a YA book? It ain't. Which... To be fair, um, he didn't know much about it and was genuinely just asking, but I did a Google, like, is it a YA book? And Nettie Okorafor herself went online and was like, hey, everybody, I know you think Binti's a young adult book, and I have written young adult books, but this isn't one of them. This is a science fiction book. Interesting it's both of them, like, address that directly yeah yeah because it is often just a marketing choice whether that's for sexist reasons or not but it's like it's usually not something that the author even really gets us it's not like they get to say what it is often like yeah and you also like when you think about the fact that like a lot a lot of like the authors that people hold up as like the giants of literary fiction are all men Mm -hmm. and um, so many of, like, well, a lot of really pop- popular YA authors are women. Mm-hmm. And because because of that, I think people just, like, continue to throw people into those categories where they don't necessarily belong because that's, yeah. like, what they expect. And it's not like YA is a bad category to be in or something. Yeah, I mean, ultimately... Course, for the record, we all why like YA. Matter, you know? <laughs> um. Yeah, I love why I study yeah. young adult literature. <laughs> I could see, I could see like, it being frustrating because, like I was just talking about earlier, like if you are labeled YA, certain audiences that you might be trying to reach aren't going to pick up the book. Right, that's just kind of yeah. how it works. Well, um, yeah, because a lot of people don't read the, YA. Yeah. Like the myself. book thief <laughs> is a good example of this, and like one that I think of a lot when I talk about like marketing a book as one or the other, like I bought that book in the London Heathrow airport. (laughs) Um, and it was marketed (laughs) as an adult book and read it, loved it for real. And then when I, I saw it in a bookstore here, like completely different, like every, not just the cover art, but like everything surrounding it and the way it was talked about completely different. And it, Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have like picked it up then. So yeah, not that I wouldn't pick up. I read a YA that book, book but, as you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I was in high school, I was like all about YA. Like I read mostly YA, and like I read that book in high school, like thinking of it as a book like for targeted towards me, a person who reads like stuff in the YA section at Barnes and Noble, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's yeah. where it was. So yeah, that's interesting. It's, I mean, marketing is so weird. I know I always say this, but, like, marketing for young adult and children's books is so strange to me. And, like, yeah. I get it, but I also don't get it. Like, why why should you be able to buy the book Thief in the young adult section and the adult section? Or, yeah. like, Coraline. Mm-hmm. Like, I wrote my master's thesis on Coraline, and so I have, like, too many copies of it. <laughs> and one 
is like the children's lit copy with a picture of Coraline on it. And it's really cute and all that. And then I have another version from the adult section that's just a yeah. black cover. Well, because that book is real fucked up. <laughs> yeah. It is. But it's the same book. It's the same content. has pictures in both of them. Why is one for adults and one for children? Yeah, I don't know. It just, like, it's all marketing. I'd be yeah. curious to see, like, yeah. how, I, I don't know, I guess, like, different ways you could market this book. Because I do think there are elements yeah. of it that kind of cross over that put it sort of on the yeah. edge there, which is probably why she mentioned new adult, because that's, like, that category that things on the edge <laughs> fall into. In between. Um, right. The cover's gorgeous. Yeah, I love it. It is. It is. Um and it's this is like the same thing we talk about when we talk about genre too when we talk about a book that doesn't necessarily fall into one specific genre but like just people like have this need to put everything in a box and this need to categorize everything and it's the same way with whether it's adult or YA it's like you cannot exist between these two categories yeah you must yeah. be one or the other so some bullshit. Um, yeah. Also, I just want to shout out the cover designer and illustrator, Daniel Pelavin. Pelavin. Not sure hey. how to say that, but good job, bro. Looks good. <laughs> good <laughs> job, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it does um, look really good. So I know Susan mentioned that this has a fairy tale feel to it. I want to talk about that a little bit more because it does in the description, it's called a fairy tale. A lot of people in their Goodread reviews called this a fairy tale. Um, do we agree with this? Um, why, why not? What makes this a fairy tale? I absolutely agree. Okay. I, yeah. I think it's a fairy tale. Why? I think, well, Emily and I were talking about it a little bit and Emily, you said that you felt like Cassiopeia was about to break into her like I want song at the beginning of the <laughs> yeah, novel. Yeah, she was like, very, very like, Disney princess to me. Yeah, just like this, it's like the typical story of like it's like the hero's journey in a way, but it's also like the the fairy tale structure of like escaping uh, your um, simple life uh, in a, a greater quest and finding romance, which is always a huge part, not always, but often a huge part of fairy tales is, is a romantic element. Um, and like defeating evil. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. like, there's uh, also like a very clear, like good and evil here. Um, it kind of gets a little bit more complicated at the very end, but throughout, throughout yeah. most of the book, we've got like the bad guys and the good guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, that the god of death himself, which, Susan, can you let us know how we should be pronouncing his name? Hunkame. Um, Hunkame is, like, probably the most complicated yeah. figure uh, in regards to whether he is good or yeah. evil. He's hot, though. Oh, my God, he's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, I also texted Emily when I first started reading this, and I was, like, if they make a movie of this, they can cast so many hot Hispanic actors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, For but sure. But it's not gonna, um, they're not gonna cast them because it's gonna be a 
Disney movie. If they so put Timothy Chalamet in this, I will riot. You're not going to see. You're gonna, no, I mean, just, Timothy Chalamet will just good. get better recently of casting the correct race, even for um, cartoons. Just but recently. I'm just, you know, just very recently. As of like Moana or 2020. Getting a little um, better. They're trying to do some course correction. They're doing a, a Black Little yes, Mermaid. which has been halted That's because happening. of the coronavirus, because coronavirus is racist. Of course. Um, <laughs> but uh, if there are hot people in this movie, you won't be able to see them because it's, this is going to be a Disney movie. Just saying. But go ahead. I, I mean, also, <laughs> like, I think this story... Boo is twisting a classic fairy tale structure in a way I really like. It's got the home away home structure, right? Mm -hmm. You start off in home in a super domestic situation. You go off on an adventure, you go away. And then at the end, you return back home, except Cassiopeia doesn't return back home because she doesn't want to go home. But we get the impression like she's going to go find a home somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Like she's going to adventure a little bit more. In Quebec or New Orleans, we don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, because home never truly felt like home to her. Yeah. And now she's got to go, so. like, find herself. And so it's kind yeah. of like playing with that classic fairy tale structure in a way that I think really makes sense and helps keep it fresh without, like, completely abandoning that traditional structure. Mm-hmm. I liked it. <laughs> Good point. Oh. How do we feel about the romance? Let's talk about that plot line a little bit. Um, that was my favorite part <laughs> of the book. I like am on on the record as being a sucker for romance in books. I like always gravitate towards books with romantic plots like in them. And when there isn't one, I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> but I always like kind of hope there will be one. Um, and so, yeah, like, I, as soon as I realized that was happening, I was, like, pretty on board and, like, didn't care as much about anything else that was happening <laughs> except for uh, the parts where they were gonna, like, be romantic with each other. Because I really liked the, I, I like, also always love, like, a forbidden romance. Mm-hmm. I love an opposites attract romance. I love a, like, there's, like, some kind of, like, deep internal struggle happening here and, like... I loved that because, like, yes, this character, these two characters, like, it's a little creepy that this romance would be developing. But because she's brilliant, apparently, uh, Marino Garcia decided that she would have these two connected in a way that would make him more human and her closer to a god so that that, like, power structure starts to dissolve between them and allows them to, like, have a romance without there being this weird, like, he's, like, older and way more powerful than her thing. Because by the time that the romance actually, like, happens, it's, like, they're almost equals. Yeah. So, yeah. I thought it worked That's really a really good I like point. How, I like how, even from the very beginning, she, like, has trouble, res- like, not respecting him, but, like, deferring to him. And she has to keep reminding herself, mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, he's, like, a god. I guess I should, like, I don't know, treat him a little bit better. Because she's yeah. just constantly, like, you can't tell me what to do, dude. And then she's, like, well, he's a god. Maybe he can. 
<laughs> he can't tell me what yeah. to do. <laughs> We're kind of like attached right now and I could die, so maybe yeah. I should listen to him. I don't know. Yeah. Um also, um, Susan, you're the only one who's gonna get this, but you know, it's very timely right now with Claire becoming the bachelorette when they go into Claire. the ocean together. I was like, I'm getting very like Juan Pablo Claire vibes right here. Oh yeah. Claire. <laughs> but better because she was not slut shamed the way that Claire was after right. after the ocean mm-hmm. trip. That's right. Uh, yeah, I was like, also this, I know this is romantic of, because I've seen that season of The Bachelor, so I know. Yeah, this, I know what's happening means. when you go into the ocean I know the vibes. with someone. Yeah, sexy vibes. Yeah. I mean, I was I will say though that like I was really, and this is maybe bad of me. Like, one thing that really separates this from YA Lit for me is how the romance is handled. Like, mm-hmm. there's not really a happy ending. Right. No. They just, it can, they kind of conclude, well, I guess we love each other, but we can't be together because, you know, the God of Death thing. Yeah. <laughs> and. I, well, you know, there was one way that they could be together, but it would have been, like, bad for other people. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting decision they had to make too, right? Because like, it was and like, I, I kept thinking, oh, there's gonna be a way they're gonna be able to be together. Yeah. It's gonna work out, and then it didn't. Like, and no, I felt really she's satisfied just on a road with, trip that. with a demon instead. It's no big deal. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had a feeling that, and you're right. Like because in a in a YA, often like there is like a satisfying like. Like, we've waited the whole novel, and we get to the end, and they get together. Um, and you don't really see Pat. And that's, like, how a lot of, of other romance books, like, just gen- general romance genre bo- books work as well. Where it's, like, we, like, get together, we have a conflict, we get back together, like, the end. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it is it is always nice to have a story of, like, a love that doesn't work out. Because mm-hmm. that is actually way more common. Yep. <laughs> By far more common. Yeah. In fact, you'll usually just have one max that works out. <laughs> and a whole lot that don't. Yeah. Maybe none. Or none. Hey. That's why I said one the jury's max. out. <laughs> one or none. <laughs> um... Want to get to ratings? Yeah. Yeah. Who wants to go first? I gave it a four. Okay. Cool. Four out of five. I liked it a lot. I really enjoyed it. Some parts were a little slow for me. A little explanatory. I didn't mind it, though. Yeah. So four out of five. Uh, This is Kelly. I'm going (laughs) to give it a three. And I liked it, definitely. As I said, I loved the romance. That was my favorite part. Something that didn't work for me was... Martine overall as a character. Oh, yeah, we didn't really talk uh, about him. Yeah. Why would because you? Because he's he's just really kind of like awful. Uh, like he's kind of an empty character and he's very like one-dimensional even as like a character that's supposedly like a little bit complicated and like has some some stuff going on where you like kind of are supposed to feel sympathetic towards him but you just don't mm-hmm. and like he just like he gets way more time than I needed from him. Like, the fact that we get chapters that are actually, like, with him, I every time it was, like, his perspective, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I don't want I this. Agree. Get me back to the romance. So, uh, 
And just the fact that he played such, like, a major role in the story overall just kind of, like, brought it down a couple notches for me, I think. So. Yeah. That's why. But I did like it. I did like it. And I thought that there were some really beautiful um, moments of writing in that kind of fairy tale style. Mm -hmm. Like, I enjoyed the omniscient narrator at certain points, when, especially when uh, it was talking about the the like connection between them um you know i thought some of that writing was really beautiful so hey i'm susan and i also gave it a three um for a much um less articulate reason which is just that that was my gut reaction to it (laughs) (laughs) um i i don't know usually when i give stuff a four it's stuff that like like really really propels me forward and like I kind of can't wait to get back to it and while I enjoyed like the time I was listening to it I wasn't always like just as eager as I am sometimes so Mm -hmm. um that could be because of the coronavirus yeah situation (laughs) and like perhaps a timing thing because that also timing affects me a lot (laughs) in books but Mm -hmm. I did really enjoy the story a lot I also thought it was well written Two, I just, I feel like a solid three is, like, where I landed. Um, this is Emily. I, uh, I went, I was going between a three and a four. I think when I rated this on, um, Bookly, which I've been using to track my reading, um, I gave it a three, but when I rated it on Goodreads, I gave it a four. So that's how I'm giving it three and a half stars. (laughs) But... Cheater. Um, so I rounded up to a four on Goodreads because I think I'm trying to be a little forgiving considering that, like, part of the reason probably it was harder for me to get through this is, like I mentioned earlier, like, I'm having really bad anxiety right now. So some of the longer sections of, like, history and things like that I really wanted to enjoy, but I was being kind of, like, impatient. Um, mm-hmm. And so I feel like under normal circumstances, I would have appreciated that more. Um, I would also agree that Martine was not my favorite part of the book. And those chapters with him, I had trouble feeling as invested because it just always felt like, okay, here are the evil people scheming. Yeah. We're, right. like, <laughs> like, it was like, here's just a reminder that the evil people are still scheming. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so I was like, yeah, yeah, evil people still scheming. Okay, we're getting to the characters we care about again. So I would agree with that. But I think overall, I I really appreciated what the story was doing. I appreciated that, you know, I did learn a lot about um, a culture that I never, never read about before. I've never read about Mexico in the 1920s. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I really... I. I really enjoyed that, and I think that I would uh, definitely be enthusiastic about reading more of her work. She actually has two novels out this year. One is a thriller, and one mm. is a, uh, well, it's sort of like a gothic novel. It's called Mexican Gothic. Um, that sounds awesome. So I just actually got sent that book, so I'll probably be reading Mexican Gothic, and hopefully we can have her on the podcast at some point. Um, so, I mean, I am enthusiastic about her work based on this. And I think for that reason, and just for like my general coronavirus anxiety, I rounded this up to a four. 
Yeah. So that was my feeling. Yeah. Hooray. Go team. So now we have a interview with Josie Silver. So let me tell you a little bit about this author, if you're not familiar. Um, I know that, like, previously when we've talked about romance novels, I've said that I'm not really, like, a huge fan. But I did, at the end of 2019, read Josie Silver's novel One Day in December um, because it just felt like, you know, it was around Christmas time and I wanted to read a Christmas book. Um, and this was like a really sweet, um, Christmassy romance novel that was actually well written and like had interesting characters that felt real. So, um, I was intrigued. I was happy that I found a romance writer that I actually enjoyed. And, um, I read her book, Two Lives of Lydia Bird, which just came out, um, at the end of March or at the, not the end of March, at the beginning of March. It's hard to say cause I read it in February, but I think it came out March 4th. Actually, there we go. We'll say March 4th. Anyway, <laughs> it's out now. It's out is the point. Um, <laughs> and I found the premise of this book to be really interesting. It's about a woman who recently lost her fiance the book starts with her discovering that her fiance has died in a car accident and she, to cope with the loss of her fiance, she gets these sleeping pills um, that are supposed to kind of like help her with her insomnia, obviously. Um, but when she takes the pills, she discovers that she enters a, an alternate reality where her fiance is still alive and they're still like planning their wedding and living their lives. And so she's kind of, stuck between these two worlds, this one world where her life is moving on and different things are happening and, like, people want her to, you know, process her grief. And then this other life where this man is still, like, very much a part of it and she's getting to do all those things that she thought she was going to be able to do. Um, And as someone who has experienced grief, and I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, has thought about, like, an alternate reality where that person was still here. Um, I found that really well done, and I thought it was interesting how the novel explores this idea of, like, um, how much grief changes you, and the person that she she starts to realize, without giving too much away, she starts to realize that the person that she is in this alternate reality is not the same person that she is now. Um, and that sort of becomes more difficult to reconcile than anything else. So, um, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed getting to talk to her. Um, I hope you liked the interview and I hope you'll check out her book. It was really good. Um, this is Emily. I'm speaking with Josie Silver, who uh, wrote One Day in December, um, and her most recent novel, The Two Lives of Lydia Bird, just came out uh, at the beginning of March of this year. Um, as we're recording this, uh, it just came out yesterday. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is that is that the same in the UK? Did it come out yesterday in the UK as well? Um, no, it comes. It, it comes out tomorrow. Oh, yeah, great. it's been out 
it's been out on ebook um for about a month and then the paperback comes out tomorrow so yeah it's, it's a big week in my world yes um <laughs> I was gonna ask you about that first just to start us off what's that like for you when a new book comes out um I, I'm sure your schedule's crazy right now yeah I mean it you know it's one of those things you know it kind of leads up and leads up and it seems like forever you know mm-hmm. and it, it kind of you know it's 18 months sort of from you know first word to actually coming onto the shelves and you kind of build up and build up and then it's just sort of extraordinary really in when it actually comes out particularly you know for me yesterday when it it came out in America and I mean and I've never even been to America um (laughs) you know and so to imagine it kind of going on the shelves you know what I mean and you know all across you know from coast to coast it's just it's fabulous actually you know it's really kind of mind-blowing um and it's like that you know across the board really with publication week it's just like the culmination of everything and going and finding it on the shelves and people coming back and telling you what they think and it's nerve-wracking but it's it's brilliant you know it's uh it's 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 one of the best bits definitely um you know yeah because you spend so much time working on this sort of a lot of it's by yourself. Obviously, you have editors and people giving you feedback, but then yeah. it's not really until yeah, I mean, other people start reading it that you. Well, that's it, really. You know, I mean, it's it's a solitary job by you know by necessity, really, um, and the kind of you know the characters live in your head, and you kind of live and breathe with them for months and months, and then suddenly they're not just yours anymore. They're everyone's and everyone has a different opinion and a different take on them. And some people don't like them. And, you know, so it's, it's very personal. Um, but then that's kind of the, the wonderful thing about it as well is that everyone takes something different from the stories. Um, well, I know one day in December was pretty well received across the board and I loved that book. So I was so excited to read this book. Um, that, that novel was, more about love at first sight. And this book is about something very different because this is more about what happens after losing a loved one, someone that you love for a long time and um, how you move on with your life, if it's possible to move on with your life. So I'd say like how you're able to move on. So um, can you talk a little bit about how you got the idea for this story? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, initially, actually, the conversation, I had a conversation with my editor about how, you know, those, those little things that happen in life that sometimes turn everything on its head, the unexpected things that you, you don't expect to, to make a huge difference. Um, and in the book, obviously, that's Freddie makes the decision to detour and collect Jonah rather than go straight to the restaurant. And that small decision is the catalyst really for the whole story and um so that was that was the starting point you know is the how small decisions can suddenly have you know this huge life-changing impact um and then I kind of got to thinking about sliding doors style stories and Mm -hmm. you know what ifs and any phone and and it kind of went from there really you know I knew I wanted to do a story with two different outcomes basically and yeah, I got to thinking about parallel worlds and all of that kind of thing. So, so it, it took a, a couple of months really for the idea to to turn from something that I wasn't sure what it was going to be to being clear of, of how I was going to do it. And then obviously working out the mechanics of how to, you know, to make it seem easy to read, even though it's it was difficult. It was actually really difficult to write. It's the most difficult book I've ever written. Um, 
you know, because it needed to be easy to read and one of those kind of, you know, the leap of faith that you're asking the reader to take with you, um, you know, and, and finding a mechanism that would make that feel realistic um, w- was one of the major challenges of the story. Right. And as far as mechanisms, if, if we're without getting too much into the plot, because I don't want to spoil anyone, but I think that pretty early yeah. on we find out that um, our main character, Lydia, is able to live this different life through sleep, or is she sleeping? Um, but she's taking this uh, medication that is sort of still in its early stages. Um, That's right, yeah. She's on, the, she's on the medical drug trial. Right. Um, and, yeah, it does give her the... Um, the, the unexpected side effectability of kind of when she goes to sleep, you know, there is this parallel world that she's able to access. Um, and it, it's really about how she's dealing with grief and coming mm-hmm. to terms with the loss and, you know, living, she, you know, she, as, as we said before, she does come to live the two parallel lives, one with Freddie and one without. Um, so yeah, it's a, it, it was a difficult book. Um, to get down on the page in a way that hopefully is a, a seamlessly easy read. Right. Um, and I think it was very, to me reading it, it, it was very smart to use. Um, I don't, I don't want to get too depressing or anything, but <laughs> I mean, like part of this is a very depressing subject, but it's very smart to use um, sleep and medication as a way of uh, entering this world for her, because I think for people who have experienced the loss of somebody really important to them, like those are two very real coping mechanisms that you use anyway. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, um, and it, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, it, it, it you know, the, the, the pills mechanism, um, we needed something that felt, you know, definitely felt as if it would be a real experience for someone that they could, you know, they could turn to to some sleeping pills to help them to get some, you know, some respite, um, which is what she does initially. You know, she's she's absolutely, you know, on her last on her last legs really, and she needs some help. So that's why she goes on that trial. Um, but obviously, it's a very unexpected side effect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So. Um, just, I'm going to get a little personal for a second, but, uh, okay. I lost, um, I lost my brother two years ago. Um, so I really related a lot to this novel, just this idea of you have, obviously my brother is not my fiance, but just like, um, this character, um, I lost someone in my life who I thought was going to be there for the rest of my life, who was very young yeah. when he died. Um, okay. So I I related a lot to this and I feel I found in the past two years that um, reading novels about loss has been very therapeutic for me. Um, so I really oh, appreciated that about this. Oh, oh um, gosh, I'm so sorry. I mean, that, that's such a, a, a really lovely thing to hear, actually, um, because that was one of the things that was really uppermost throughout the whole writing process was to make sure that it was sensitive um, and that it dealt with the grief process in a realistic way um, because obviously I mean I'm 
pretty fortunate in that I've not really experienced this level of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, it was really important to me to for the, for the book to feel relatable and hopeful, you know, to people that have been through, you know, major, major loss. So right. thank you. For, thank you for saying that. That's really, um, really, really lovely to hear, actually. Well, thank you for being um, sensitive to that. And I think it is really hard um, when you're writing about grief to strike that balance between um, being sensitive to that loss and you don't want to be too uplifting either because that can be really obnoxious as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, I spent quite a lot of time talking to people that had been through similar kinds of experiences and on on forums and people were really kind in sharing their experiences and their, their thoughts of what they perhaps wouldn't like to see, which is really what's informed the story. And it, 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 it is a heavy subject. You know, there is, no getting away from the fact that it is a really heavy kind of subject um but we tried you know definitely try to balance that with some lightness and i think a lot of the the lightness in the book perhaps comes from the characters around lydia you know she's got this really big ensemble family and friends and that kind of lift her and carry her along and i wanted to try and balance it so that yes obviously we tackle the really issues of grief but also that there's hope and there's light and you know, it, it's not too depressing a book to, to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, that was going to be my next question, actually, is how you prepared to write something like this. Were there any um, books you read about loss or any novels about parallel universes that you read? I read a lot of um, scientific information. Now, I really bogged myself down, actually. I bought lots of textbooks and lots of science books um, to try and make sure that I'd got this kind of, you know, background in my head of how parallel universes and multiverses, the, all the different scientific theories. <clears throat> and I think I overbogged myself down with all of that stuff. Um, you know, because it, really, you know, the, the the theme that we came up with in the end with the pills mechanism, it has to be fiction, doesn't it? You know, because there is no definite science or scientific fact um, that, that that kind of, um, that the multiverse exists. So, yeah, I did bog myself down a lot with the scientific side of it. Um, so, yes, that was kind of my research for quite a while, um, bef- you know, to, to enable me to get to the point where I could think of a mechanism that was going to feel acceptable to the reader. Um, it kind of... Uh the um, parallel universes, not to say, obviously, the subject matter is very different, but it reminded me of um, Post-Birthday World, Lionel Shriver. Did, have you ever read that book? Oh, no, I haven't. No, I'll make a note. I'll have a look at it. Yes, I think you would like it. Um, it's different from this, but similar idea where there's a point in this character's life where she has two options available to her and sort of looks at what would happen if she goes in two different directions. But. Uh, okay. Yeah, no, I will. I'll, I'll find that one out. It sounds good. Um, so you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, you mentioned your family, and I know this book is dedicated to your family. Um, are there specific characters or people in the novel that are influenced by family members, or is it just a general, they're sort of like in all of the characters a little bit? Um, 
Both, actually. You know, you know, I'm pretty fortunate in that I've got a lovely, quite big family, um, really solid. You know, my parents have been married for or forever. <laughs> um, and I'm a middle child with an elder sister and a younger brother. And we all get on really well. Um, I'd say perhaps my sister is the closest influence to the characters in the book um, because Lydia has a sister. Right. An older sister, um, Elle. Um, and my sister is 18 months older than me. So the relationship between Lydia and Elle is, is very, very much informed, actually, by my own relationship with my sister um, because she's the sensible one. <laughs> you know, she's the, um, you know, the one whose footsteps I follow in. Um, so, yeah, I would say definitely Elle is probably the closest person to a real person in my life um but just generally I think the whole kind of cast is you know you you write what you know and uh, you know so definitely the warmth and the you know the the sense of community definitely comes from my own you know my own family um I want to switch directions just a little bit and talk about romance in general okay um which I think you'd be excited to talk about, right? Um, Uh So I know in your bio, you say you would consider yourself a romantic. Um, Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Does that ever feel difficult to be a romantic in our contemporary world, which can tend to be a little bit um, cynical? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, especially now in the world that we live in at the moment, you know, it's... um, it is difficult, but I think it's probably more needed now than ever, um, particularly sort of the romance genre, you know, as a whole. Um, you know, very often I think we looked on as kind of fluffy and light and kind of flimsy books um, and, and easily dismissed, I think, in that sense. But, you know, I think, you know, escapism is, is so important at the moment. You know, people read our books kind of, you know, in hospital beds and you know when they need something to brighten up a dark day so I'd like to think that you know the romance genre offers hope and makes people laugh um I think definitely romance is needed more than ever at the moment um one one of my um, most favorite romance authors Millie Johnson made a speech recently and she said um she said about romance writers that we are the glorious counterbalance to this climate of hate, which I think was just this perfect, you know, it sums up really why romance is important more more than ever. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm super proud actually to be writing romance and, you know, keeping that light on for the readers that need it. Um, and it seems that people are reading a lot of romance right now. So I think you're probably right that... Um it's I think it's the biggest. Yeah, I mean, it's the biggest selling romance. It's the biggest selling genre in the world for a reason, isn't it? You know, it's 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 definitely needed. Um, if you weren't writing romance, what other genre would you be interested in exploring? Is it sci-fi next? Since you've read so much sci-fi. Oh God, no! <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Someone else asked me this question, and I can't imagine 
ever writing anything but romance you know I've dabbled a little bit and tried to do other things and, and I'm terrible at it um, I think I think I'm just like you know if you cut me through I think it you know I would bleed romance it just is it's inside me and I love it so I, the honest answer is I don't think I could do anything but well I'm glad you're doing it <laughs> Thank you. um, um, I do want to talk about your pets because um, I don't know if you know this, but on our podcast, uh, we are a group of people who think that pets and reading go really well together. Okay, um, yeah, and I couldn't agree more. Yes, absolutely. So we all we all have cats or dogs or a mixture of. I have two cats myself. Um, so tell us about your pets. Okay, um, well, we have two cats. Um, they are 18 months old. And Elsa is a Bengal, oh, and she's nice. not named. She's not named after Elsa from Frozen, <laughs> although that's what everyone thinks. Because oh, we, I've got sons. Um, I've got two sons, and when we had the cats, they picked the name Elsa, and none of us had ever watched Frozen because obviously we're a household of boys. Yeah. So <laughs> we named the cat after. This is a really old reference now, but there was a movie called Born Free. Mm. about a lion um mm. so we named Elsa after this majestic animal and then now everyone thinks that we named her after a Disney princess <laughs> um, but she is no Disney princess she's very um very aloof very um very regal um and she's she's lovely actually she's really funny really smart um and then we've got Theo who is a Russian blue and he's got this Aww. really thick soft grey fur um and he's a proper little Love a lovely cat, you know, loves to sit on your lap. He's got this lo- really loud purr, and so he's the fuss monster, whereas she's very, uh, very much a lady and very aloof. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and we have a dog. Um, he is a golden retriever Labrador cross. Um, now he's, I say we have a dog, he's not officially ours because he's a guide dog puppy. Um, so he's living with us. Um, he's been with us since he was seven weeks and he is 10 months at the moment and he stays with us until he's about 14 months, something like that. Um, so he's kind of a lodger. (laughs) So he's with us and he kind of does all of his socialization. So we take him everywhere with us. You know, if we go to the restaurant or if we go to the shops, he comes with us and, um, and it's lovely, actually, because he's, he's the first dog we've ever had. So it's been kind of a trial for us to see how we get on with having a dog. And, and we all adore him. He's just such good fun. And So, yeah, so he's kind of turned our lives upside down in a way that we hadn't anticipated that he would because um, he's really boisterous and, you know, lots of lots of energy. So he's my little, well, my actually huge writing companion you know he tends to come with me to the office and um yeah so our lives yes. are they, go, they go really well with writing as well as reading so it's nice yeah they have. do like you know what we, we tend to my husband will take him out for a big walk to tire him out and then he comes down to my office and goes to sleep on my feet while I'm working so yeah Aww. it's nice it's lovely we'll uh we'll really miss him when he leaves us actually he's He's, he's become a big part of the family in the time that he's been here. And the cats, they like them okay? Um, one <laughs> likes him more than the other. Elsa kind of, you know, treats him as her playmate now. You know, she'll 
go back to him and have fun with him whereas Theo is more sort of you know don't come anywhere near me (laughs) so they tend to be in different rooms um but yeah I mean you know they get on pretty well and it's you know it as you say it's lovely to have them around isn't it they're lovely company and companions and uh yeah yeah I can't imagine a house without animals no I can't either um so you said you're working what are you working on now um, well, I can't tell you all that much about it, but I can tell you the title. Um, okay. It's going to be called 43 Love Letters. Okay. Um, and it's about a couple who've been together for 20 years and they're separated at the moment for um, an undisclosed reason and an undisclosed period of time. <laughs> um, and she writes him letters every day and we get to see snapshots of their love affair across the decades. Um, but kind of in a non-linear way, um, you know, kind of like, um, you know, how This Is Us jumps around the timeline. So it's going to jump around the the timeline of their romance. Um, you know, so we see all of their bumps in the road and that kind of thing. So that it's kind of ordinary people spun into this hopefully big, beautiful kind of love story again. That sounds very interesting. I love how um, all of your books really go in different directions it shows you how much within the genre of romance you can still play with a lot of different ideas yeah yeah it's nice it's nice to kind of you know do something different um Mm -hmm. so hopefully hopefully this is going to feel different again um yeah, one day in December was was really the the beginning of a love story. Whereas Lydia, as you say, is kind of at the end in one sense, but at the beginning in another. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one, yeah, kind of jumps in at twenty years into the romance. So we've moved along quite a bit with this one. Uh, so yeah, I like to keep it uh, keep it interesting. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the one thing I said to myself after writing Lydia was that I was going to go for something that was kind of straightforward and started yeah. at the beginning and wrote, you know, in a in a linear fashion. And I've kind of gone back on all of that and thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to jump around. Blah, blah, blah. And now I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, why did I do that to myself? It'll come right in the end. Well, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, everyone should go out and get two lives of Lydia Bird right now. Um, Uh, Anything else uh, you want to say before we end? I I don't think so. (laughs) No, no, I don't think there's anything else I can think that I need to add. Um, I mean, you know, it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you Um, so much. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for having me. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, no, it's been lovely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> I know so y'all love when she talked about her cats. Sure did. <laughs> um, great, awesome. We're almost done, guys. Oh my god. Um, we don't have any feedback. Yeah, oh. we've had some comments though on Instagram of people who are reading it right now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who are reading the need yeah. right now, and um, I think they will write in. Yeah. So, so if you are reading the need, uh, please yeah, write us. We'll still. We'll still answer that feedback in a upcoming episode so if you're reading it now along with us i mean we know a lot of you guys 
have some time and are sitting at home and have your computers in front of you. So, like, write in. As always, yeah. like... You can if, write in about anything. Yeah, like, if you're, even if, if you're a ago. new listener <laughs> and you, like, w- listened to a super old episode of a book that you read, like, feel free to write in and we will happily read that feedback. Yeah, like, because we, we read that book, too, so, I mean, we could still talk mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. And I will try to remember it. <laughs> We get, like, some white teeth feedback. (laughs) Only some of them stick with me, but I'll try. (laughs) Uh, So let's talk about what's on the blog. I didn't write anything down because I've been really bad at looking at the blog because I'm going to explain my anxiety. Well, Survivor. Still happening. Thankfully, Bachelor took a little break. Bachelor has mercifully ended. So once this coronavirus uh, delay is over... Hopefully it's soon. Then Bachelorette will begin production, and then Emily and I will gear up to recap that shit. And we will write about the dudes and how terrible they seem. (laughs) Also on the blog, we have an interview with author Catherine Linka, who wrote What I Want You to See, which is a young adult thriller I guess we could say thriller. It's a really fascinating book. I loved it, just as a spoiler. I love the book. And it's kind of about the art world and trauma and homelessness and crime. That sounds cool. Sexy. So there's some exciting like crime stuff in there, but it's also making some bigger statements about the world. And it all takes place within an art school. Mm. And there's lots of like really great descriptions of painting processes and stuff. You know, I love that shit. Kelly's like, I don't want to read about no art. No, I will, and I'll be very skeptical, because I'll be like, oh, combat boots with a with a flower made out of paper next to them? Celeste Ng? Sounds like a great photograph. Yeah. Nope. Anyway. No, I mean, this one's <laughs> that, that show came like, out today. I, I saw. Think. I know. <laughs> this is, I think you would be delightfully surprised, Kelly. Like, this is not sort of cliche and when it is cliche all the students are like Ugh. okay yeah like grown maybe i'll check it out i'll definitely check out your set at schools like i love a yeah, good like too. boarding school book uh, very into that school book always always um also on the blog my dear cousin julianne uh is currently living in south korea she's teaching english there uh as many of you know, South Korea was hit very hard by coronavirus, um, and they're just now starting to, like, come out of it a little bit. Um, so there is hope out there in the distance somewhere. But um, Julianne was uh, basically, like, advised not to leave her apartment, and, like, her school got shut down and all this stuff. So she could only go out for groceries and was, like, in Her apartment, like, doesn't have any friends there, barely knows anyone, um, was just feeling really isolated, and so she started binge-watching Outlander. And she wrote up (laughs) a post about that for us, uh, and about how she's in love with the character on that show and how it helped her um, get over her, like, fear and sense of isolation because she could just obsess over a fictional character. So... I've got to be honest, like, after I read her blog post, I was like, should I Same. I, like, read it and I was like, do yeah. I need to watch a season of this show? Like, I... Which, honestly, is the mark of a it's, good yeah. piece. I tried to read the book one time and I just think I wasn't 
in the mood and it's really long. <laughs> yeah. But maybe I would be more down for a television show. Yeah. I've heard that the first season is the best and that it gets ridiculous. Um from <laughs> Justine, that is what she told me. Look, I watched True Blood. Yeah, I mean, I know how. Yeah, it goes. yeah, we've all watched a show that started great and got ridiculous. Yeah. I don't think Outlander is like <laughs> this is like quality tell. Like, I don't think that's the point. Like, <laughs> so it's supposed to be sexy. It's sexy, yeah. um, and apparently like it's like True Blood used to be. Yeah, well, R.I.P. <laughs> so there's yeah. that. Anything else on the blog? I don't know. Probably I'm going to write something. I just haven't felt like it. Fair. There's all kinds of stuff on the blog. Go check it out. Go check it so out. Booksbloggoals.com slash blog. Yeah. Okay. And coming up on the pod, what we got? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> glad you <laughs> asked. Him. So glad you asked. Um, on our next episode, we are going to be discussing the Netflix miniseries Dracula with a very special guest, Grady Hendrix. Our fave. Um, you, you might remember Grady Hendrix from previous such episodes as that time that I interviewed him, or that time that we talked about Horror Store, or that time that we talked about My Best Friend's Exorcism. Basically, we talk about Grady Hendrix all the time. So now Good he's deal. finally we're big fans. And we're going to talk about vampires because he has a book coming out all about vampires. Um, and yeah, it's going to be exciting Yeah, to talk to him. Yeah. Excited for that. And, and then, after that, on our next book episode, we're going to be talking about Gideon the Ninth by Tam- Tamson Moyer. I'm not sure how to pronounce her last we name. We will find out before Moyer. that episode. <laughs> we will find out. And we will have special guest who you may remember, Leah Rachel Vaughn Essence. Yes. Woohoo! Who has been with us before, and we are excited to have her back. I am not 100% sure what Gideon the Ninth is about. I know it's a fantasy book. I know it's supposed to be kind of gritty and funny. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people whose opinions on books I trust liked it. Cool. And so, you know, I'm excited to read it. It's got a real cool book like physical book that has like black pages i gotta order it still from my local indie bookstore yeah me too yeah i don't have a local indie bookstore but i'll order it from an indie bookstore you could order it from my local indie bookstore audible (laughs) god susan no i already paid for the credits (laughs) (laughs) no i know i have them building up in there i've got like six credits and the other thing is audible like won't refund you i don't think for your credits no so that's cool they know they they won the hook and then they but i went well i'm not gonna sit here and talk about what's you can return your book (laughs) if you didn't like it that is the one nice thing about audible um which is what i did with the couple next door or not the couple next door, Stranger in the House. <laughs> Basically the same book. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I did too. I returned the shit out of that. No money okay. was wasted on it. No. <laughs> um, so, uh, how do I do this? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, like, forgot what is, what is how – okay. You can email us with any feedback, comments, questions, etc. 
Um, I can hear a, a motorcycle going wild outside right now, so hopefully you can hear that on this on this track. They need to be inside. Stay I know. Home, like, what are motorcycle you doing? Guy? I hope that your face mask is just getting sprayed with coronavirus as you tool down the streets with your loud, unnecessary <laughs> motorcycle. Okay. You can email us at thesquad at booksquadgoals.com with any comments or questions. You can follow us at booksquadgoals on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, definitely, like, subscribe. That'd be cool. Um, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star, five-stars only rating. If you want to leave less than five stars, don't bother. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you would. I mean, unless you, like, really have, like, a vendetta against us, which, you know. I mean, you might have it, a vendetta against it's us. It's possible. So it's fine. I'm not going to. Um, Maybe you're Sherry Lapina. And you're <laughs> Sherry Lapina has, like, ten different iTunes accounts Vendettas. set up to <laughs> give us zero stars. She couldn't have enough accounts to go around revenge <laughs> disliking things. Do you hear this? <sighs> Soothing. Oh. That meow. Too much. What a baby. Um, we hope that all of you are staying safe and indoors if you can. And if you are one of those people who is working at a grocery store or at a place that is going to remain open during this crisis, uh, thank you so much for Mm -hmm. uh working so hard and being like amazing. And you don't get enough credit. Uh. And all of the people who are in fear of, like, losing their jobs because they can't go to them, um, like, that sucks. And we feel you and we love you guys and thank you for listening. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Wish that I could do something more for everybody, but, um, you know, just trying to survive out here. But yes. we're going to make it through. Mm-hmm. Got to keep our community strong. Yes. Go team. That was such a sad note to end on. Just let Edward take us out. There. That was nice. That's that's the stuff. <laughs> the stuff right there. All right. Bye, guys.